sent out a church newsletter uh, this past Thursday. We have a weekly digital newsletter that goes out every Wednesday. This week we delayed it a day till Thursday, and hopefully you got that. If you didn't get that newsletter and you'd like to be on our email newsletter, you can uh, give us your information at the information table as we do send that out weekly and it gives an update of what's going on in our church. And particularly that's beneficial as we're giving updates frequently related to all that's going on in the world and um, how that affects us relative to our worship services. I uh, want you to know, uh, one, one, if you didn't get that last newsletter, that is available at the information table as well. If you don't have email yet, you can pick it up there, but the easiest way is to sign up for that and receive it digitally each week. We are taking this very seriously, the coronavirus, as I know you are as well. We've stepped up our cleaning efforts across the church. Um, we've modified, of course, our greeting practices, and it's a bummer not to shake your hand. I'm a hugger. It's a bummer not to hug you. Some of you are so grateful not to get hugs from me anymore, but it's a bummer to me not to hug you. That's just who I am. But we're modifying it as uh, we're following those who are more knowledgeable than us on these things. And, uh, of course, if you're ill, we invite you to stay home, as we've noted before. And we fortunately have digital streaming of all of our messages on Sunday mornings. And we anticipate that will probably increase in the future. If we, if we have to modify what we're doing in the future, our, our intention is not to close services uh, unless we're told that we have to. Our, our government might tell us we have to, and we will submit to that um, if, if we are told that we have to. If there's an immediate threat around us, then we will make those modifications, and we will increase the number of streaming services that we offer uh, beyond just Sunday morning. We'll increase those as it's critical for us to stay together in this time, isn't it? Spiritual health is vital to public health. You believe that? Your spiritual health is vital to the health of those around you. It's vital to public health, and so we're going to continue to be strong spiritually and maintain a spiritual focus and offer as many services as we possibly can we, of course, stream our services each and every week in full, not just the message, the, the entire service at carneyefree.com and on our Facebook page as well. Uh, I considered uh, throwing away my message this week and just restarting. I decided not to do that as maybe we could use a break from talking about it constantly. I see a few people nodding. I will talk about it some as I preach, though, this morning, but... Um, I think we should continue with our message series, Dangerous Prayers. And before we jump into that, we're, we're just going to pray together. Uh, our president, I think, has wisely um, noted that today is a national day of prayer. And we're going to follow uh, that lead and pray together as a church family. So, uh, would you join me as we pray for our nation and for our world and for our community. And for those that are here today and just feel great anxiety. There is sympathy there. There is empathy. There is no judgment. We pray for each other. Would you join me? Father, we are grateful for your mercy to us. We are so thankful, Lord, that you are sovereign and you remain in charge. You are a great and mighty God, and as the scriptures say repeatedly, you are our refuge. That means you are our 
home, our safe place. The Bible also says repeatedly that you are a fortress, your strong tower, and we find safety in your presence. You protect us, you fight for us, and in the end, you win. In the end, you win. And we trust in that. When things feel shaky around us, we trust in the truth that in the end, you win and we will reign with you and we put our trust in you. Father, we do pray for containment of this virus. All over the world, we ask for containment. We ask, God, that you would give us wisdom in the way that we act. You would help us to love each other by taking prudent actions and also to love each other in the way that we speak with those who differ from us, speak about those who differ from us on some of these ideas. Help us to love. Help us to think the best of one another. Help us to understand that people around us are fearful and anxious and we as the body of Christ uphold the beautiful message of Christ which brings about peace. And that requires us to be different in the way we think and speak toward outsiders. Please help us. Father, we ask for quick recovery for those who are sick across our nation and our world. We collectively pray with faith, God, that you would give wisdom to doctors and scientists and governing authorities here in our state. We pray for Governor Ricketts. Across our nation, we pray for... President Trump and Vice President Pence, we pray for unity in our Senate, in our House of Representatives, for Senator McConnell and Representative Pelosi. We ask God for unity and for the soundest minds to come together, that you would give them wisdom on how to act on behalf of our country. We ask that nations would even work together and that this would quickly come to an end. And Father, we ask in the midst of it all that your church would shine. Crisis is an opportunity for the body of Christ not to bunker down, but to shine. So God, give us courage to act as you would here and now, that we would shine for the good of those around us and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen, amen. Let's really commit ourselves to pray, okay? Would you do that? Nod your head with me if you'll commit yourself to pray, okay? Let's also commit ourselves to, to speak well of people. Would you do that? Would you do that? People respond to these things in different ways. A lot of it's just personality. A lot of that is different the way we've been raised, it's okay. Let, let, let's think well of people. Let's speak well of people. Love demands that we think the best of others. 1 Corinthians 13 says. Let's be different in the way we act, okay? Okay, now what am I supposed to be preaching on this morning? <laughs> we have been talking about this idea of dangerous prayers. And dangerous prayers are just powerful prayers recognizing that God has given us so many different templates for prayer in the scripture such that sometimes our prayers would move mountains. Sometimes they would. They'd be dangerous. They'd be powerful. God invites us to dangerous prayers. 
We start in week one of this series with a dangerous prayer, God, slow me down. Perhaps he's answered. <laughs> and God, make me more aware of you. Perhaps he's answered. God, give me more compassion. Perhaps he's answered. Okay? Uh, week two of this series, we talked about God, help me to forgive others as I have been forgiven. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer. We've been talking about tools that God gives us for prayer. We use our prayer chair. We pray through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We invite God's presence to us each day. We engage these tools. Another one of the tools is the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples when they're saying, how do we pray? And you can take the Lord's Prayer and you can pray over each and every line of the Lord's Prayer at length over your world over your life, over your concerns, asking for God's will. Perhaps the greatest of those is, God, help me to forgive as I've been forgiven. I've got a number of questions about that this past week. Uh, lots of, just a flood of responses. And it was powerful to see our church's response though this past week as we talked about forgiveness. And I'm proud of you for taking bold steps toward forgiveness though this past week. It's worthy of note, and it must be noted that forgiveness is not easy, and it is not cheap. It's not easy, and it's not cheap. You, if you think it's easy, you think it's cheap, look at the cross. The cross is our symbol of forgiveness. God gave us forgiveness through the cross of Jesus. It was not easy, it was not cheap. Nor will it be for us. Okay, I was not saying that, I promise you. You know that, if you were here, you know that. Uh, likewise, it's worthy of noting that sometimes we've been hurt in such a way that we have to forgive again and again and again. And it happens in stages. And it may happen completely, and then it comes back like a roaring lion. And, and you have to go back to it again. And that's also part of the nature of forgiveness. God knows that. I believe absolutely he is generous and merciful to you right there. Uh, so give yourself grace if you have to go back to it again and again. But when we say, thy will be done, we recognize that God's will is that all people would be saved. Do you believe that? We recognize that God's will is that all people would be forgiven. Do you believe that? And so when we say, thy will be done, we are saying, God, I want your will to be done even in my life, even when it's most difficult. I want you to be Savior and Lord, which means I will seek to follow you where it's most difficult and for some of us the crux of the matter is forgiveness so if you weren't here last sunday you got it frankly you got to go back and watch that if you're struggling with unforgiveness you got to go back and watch that not because my words were special they were not but god's word is special and people responded in the most amazing way last sunday um, between the venue and both auditorium service. We probably had 200, 250 people come forward with these little sticky notes like this, noting the pain that they've experienced, naming it, forgiving it, forgiving someone by name, and saying, I'm moving forward. I'm taking this step, this next step. I'm so proud of you for doing that. I've been praying for you, as many of you have done that, because it's difficult but that first step is a critical piece toward your healing. Uh, that's part of why God gives us the gift of forgiveness for our own healing, for our own good. Okay, so that's at carneyefree.com. 
always streamed live on our Facebook page as well. Today's dangerous countercultural prayer is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. And I'd ask you opening your Bible to that, whether it be on your phone or a paper Bible as I'm using today. Proverbs, chapter 30. You find Proverbs right after the book of Psalms. So it's about the midpoint of your Bible. If you go over to Ecclesiastes or Song of Songs or Isaiah, you've gone just a little bit too far. Turn back to the left if you go over to those. If you go to Proverbs, turn to the right, excuse me, Psalms, turn to the right to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. And um, Proverbs is this beautiful book full of wisdom and some, much instruction and some prayers as well for uh, common applications across all of life. And uh, it's a wonderful book to return to on a regular basis as we're seeking wisdom for whatever age though, that we're living in. Today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 30, and it's a series of sayings, a chapter by a man named Agur, Agur, excuse me, a man named Agur. And uh, we don't know a lot about Agur. Uh, in fact, his name is only listed this one time in the Bible. He was an ordinary man. Thank God for ordinary people. He's an ordinary man like us, okay? But his words are inspired by God and were included in the Holy Scripture for us, for our benefit today. He was probably a mentor of some kind because he's instructing his mentee named Ithiel, who we also don't know. It's very possible that he's a contemporary of Solomon, as Proverbs was likely written uh, around 1000 BC at the same time as Solomon. Most of the Proverbs are written by Solomon. So these are sayings of Agur, and we're going to look at an agriculture prayer. Dad joke alert, sorry. Okay. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacob, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel, I am wary, God, but I can prevail. Hmm. I am wary, God, but I can prevail. And then skip down to verse 7. I encourage you to read the entire chapter later on today, but verse 7 through 9 is his specific prayer, and this is where we'll focus our time a bit today. Uh, this is the prayer of Agur. He says, two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me. Do not deny me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What's his prayer? In essence, it's give me contentment. Right? D did you hear it? Give me contentment is the essence of his prayer. He's praying against things that are called false gods. He's praying against false gods. It's really interesting. Agur would have been writing again about 1000 BC at a time around Solomon. 
And uh, Israel was infected at that time, if you know your Bible history, by false gods, wasn't it? There were false gods all over the place in the ancient Near East. And there are many statues to a false god named Baal. And there are these statues made of, stu- of, of, um, of stone and of wood and of precious metals. And then there are these sacrifices to the god Baal at these statues. And Israel got involved in that too. They fell to this false god named Baal. There are other false gods by the name of Ashtoreth. And these pillars were made to Ashtoreth. And sadly, before these pillars, people of the ancient Near East, other cultures and other religions, and likewise the Israelites were tempted by this, and they fell prey to it, and they would go engage in these sexual rites of sacrifice before these pillars to Ashtoreth. There are false gods all over the place. It was a polytheistic world. You think Hinduism, maybe not quite that much, The Greek pantheon, maybe not quite that much, but false gods all over the place. None of those are the false god that Agur recognizes here. The false god that he points out here, the most popular one, the most powerful one then, is also the most powerful false god today. What is it? It's all about the Benjamins, right? It's all about the bling bling. It's money, it's riches, it's the false god of wealth. America's most popular false gods are, I would say, in this order. Ready? Wealth and safety. Could it be in the providence of God that our wealth and our safety are being attacked right now? Could that someday actually be to our benefit if some of our false God of wealth and false God of safety are undermined? Do you know that God is still on the throne? Do you know today that God is still on the throne? Neither of these things are promised by us promised to us by the scriptures wealth is certainly not promised to us in the scriptures safety control over safety is certainly not promised to us in the scriptures that's one of the greatest false illusions of our day that we can control everything we know people in biblical times knew that they could not control much of what happened to them we have that false illusion today but even without those things even without safety even without wealth No matter what happens, we still have Christ, we still have one another, and God is still on the throne. A a false God is something that grabs at the heart, and it clutches the heart, and it threatens to steal our joy, and our peace, and our hope, and our freedom, and it cannot promise, excuse me, it cannot deliver what it promises. A false God is something that clutches our soul it clutches our hearts but it can't deliver what it promises money is the greatest false god in the world ever it it has no chance at delivering the happiness the peace the hope that it promises and so 
Agur wisely prays, God, please give me contentment with the little that I have. In fact, God, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would give me neither poverty nor riches, but you would give me only enough for today. You'd give me only my daily bread. We likewise, like Agur, can pray this dangerous prayer, and as we do so, we can fight the dollar deity. You can write this down in your outline. You can fight the dollar deity. You can also fight the safety deity. Maybe you need to write that down right now. I don't know where you are this morning. Okay, for some of us, we should write down fight the dollar deity. For others, we could write down fight the safety deity by asking for, praying for, requesting contentment. Going before our God and asking Him to make us content. I'm curious, as you're writing today, would you raise your hands with me, both in the auditorium and in the venue, if you have ever prayed, God, please don't make me rich. Okay, I do see a couple of people's hands raised. That's amazing to me. I expected zero. Okay, but not many. Not many, okay? God, please don't make me rich. That's what Agur is praying. Let's pray it together. Would you join me? Let's pray it together. God, please don't make me rich. You didn't pray that very hard. I saw you. There were not many lips moving. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going to give you another chance, okay? Because we're praying scripture right now, which is always a wise tool to use. God gives us the scriptures such that we could pray scripture and know that we're always praying God's will. Okay, ready? Ready? Okay, I, I know in the venue they're ready. One, two, three. God, please don't make me rich. You still didn't mean it. I saw it. You still didn't mean it. <laughs> okay, this is not a um, TV preacher's prayer, is it? No, it isn't. It's a Bible prayer. Okay, how about this? This will be, this will be easier. God, please give me contentment today. Come on. God, please give me contentment today. Give me contentment where I live today. Give me contentment with what I have and what I do not have today. Give me contentment with the health that I have today. Give me contentment with illness that I have today or I could possibly have tomorrow. Because I can do all things in either situation. I know that God works for the good of all. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so I can be content wherever I am, knowing that God is on the throne and he's for me and not against me. He will never forsake me. And so I can pray for contentment with whatever I have today and whatever might come tomorrow. Is there anybody with me in this room today? That we would content ourselves. We'd be content with God and what he provides. Because no matter the generation Money and anxiety around safety will fight for the possession of your soul. This is why Jesus said simply, where your treasure is, there your heart will go. It's just a statement of fact. He's not commanding anything. He's giving an indicative statement of fact that whatever you treasure, that's where your heart will naturally gravitate. That's where your heart will naturally go. Hearts follow treasures. Jesus told his disciples simply in reflection on this idea, truly it's hard, it's really hard for someone who is rich 
to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because hearts follow treasures. He doesn't say it's impossible. He says it's really hard. Because the more you get, the more your heart will follow that. And then the less your heart will follow the real God. There's a dollar deity and there's a true deity, the one true God. Okay, The more we get, the more our hearts naturally follow. He doesn't say it's impossible, nor does Jesus ever anywhere condemn wealth or the wealth of the wealthy. He doesn't do that either. He simply notes that slowly over time, um, a heart that is infatuated by wealth will be corrupted. Often. Not always, but often. That's the same thing that Agur understands. That slowly, gradually over time, hearts that are infatuated with money will go to a corrupted state wherein this passage that we just read says the person who is running after wealth might say, I don't need God anymore. That's what mine says anyway. It says, otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? So give me not riches. I, I, my, my mentor, one of the godliest men I've ever known who served for 30 years in Boulder, Colorado, he prays on a regular basis, God make me small. He understands. Not by power. Not by riches. Not by my strength. But by your presence, O oh Lord. A wealthy state can corrupt us slowly over time. So also an impoverished state can corrupt someone slowly over time. And we've seen this. Sadly, we see it on the news. Sadly, we might see this in the weeks to come. There's already been fights breaking out at Costco's in Washington. Okay? An impoverished state can corrupt someone over time such that they might steal, Agur says, and so dishonor God. And so we're wise to pray, God, would you give me kind of a middle state? Maybe, maybe even a lower middle state, God. Would you give that to me? That I would have my eyes focused on you, the one true God. The taste of wealth is sweeter than German chocolate cake. It's got this addictive quality to it. We need more so that we can purchase more. Then we need more so we can purchase more, so we can prove ourselves more, so we can get more accolades, so other people would think something about us, so we can manage our reputation in other people's eyes such that we need more. Well, friends, you do not need to prove yourself. If you have Christ, there's no need to prove yourself. God has proven you through Jesus Christ. If you have received him and you now live through him, your identity rests in him, not on anything that you have. He affirms our worth beyond value of money and possessions. Those things can never buy what God gives to us. He gives us his perfect love, which casts out fear. He gives us value and sense of worth regardless of what we have. By the way, on the most practical of levels, it was Andrew Carnegie, who was one of the wealthiest people of the 20th century, who said millionaires seldom smile. It was Henry Ford who said, I liked my job much better when I was a mechanic. 
Henry Ford. One of my favorite books is called The Same Kind of Different as Me. And it's the story of two men, a white man named Denver, who was a very wealthy, excuse me, a white man named Ron, who was a very wealthy art dealer in Fort Worth, Texas, and a black man by the name of Denver, who's a homeless man in Fort Worth, Texas. First, he was a sharecropper in Louisiana, kind of living in a modern-day slavery state way back in the early 1960s, becomes homeless man in Fort Worth, and they develop this unlikely friendship in which they learn from each other, they help each other, and Denver remains homeless, but content. Homeless, but content, as his friendship progresses with Ron, who is rich, but discontent. And in the wonderful book, Same Kind of Different as Me, here's one of the scenes that Ron writes about. They both write this book together. It's beautiful. He says, I knew Denver was sincere when he told me that he would not want to trade places with me for even one day. His convictions became clear to me when I laid my key ring on the table between us at one of our earliest meetings for coffee. They're at Starbucks, a place where homeless Denver had never been. And they're having coffee, $2 coffee, which he cannot make any sense of in his mind. Sitting there with Ron, who's a wealthy art art dealer. And uh, Denver smiled a bit, and he sidled up to a cautious question. He says, I know it ain't none of my business, but does you own something that goes to each of them rings? I glanced at the keys, glanced at the rings. There were about ten of those keys. I suppose, I replied, not really ever having thought about it. Are you sure you own them, or does they own you? That wisdom stuck to my brain like duct tape. The more I thought about it, the more I became convinced that we'd enjoy life a whole lot more if we owned a whole lot less. In some ways, Denver became the professor and I the student as he shared his particular brand of spiritual insight and plain old country wisdom. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Second, my friends, we can fight the dollar deity. We can fight the safety deity by asking for help when needed. We can fight this false god by asking for help when needed. And what's very possible in these coming weeks, you're going to need to ask for help. And that's okay. That's good. It's really good to ask for help. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it when he was in need and he needed to ask for help. He declared to his church in Philippians, he says, I know what it is to live in plenty, and I know what it is to live in need. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether living in plenty or living in want. I have learned the secret of being content no matter the situations, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I know the secret, he says. You could fill that in. These are spectrums. He's saying, I know what it is to be sick, and I know what it is to be well. And the Apostle Paul, of course, knew both of those, didn't he? He knew what it was to be applauded, and he also knew what it was to be persecuted and thrown in jail and didn't know if he would live. He's writing from a jail cell when he writes Philippians. He knew what it was to have plenty from his great learning And from the wealth that he had accumulated as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he would have had some money. 
And then he knew what it was to be in want and have almost nothing. And what was the secret? The next verse is the secret. You see it on the screen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. He knew the secret of living in plenty. He knew the secret of living in want. Let's say it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know the secret? That's the secret. It's not living as the world lives. It's not living in constant fear as the world lives. It's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I bring Christ into my fears. I bring Christ into my wants. I bring Christ into my anxieties. I ask you, Christ, to be at the center of my thinking right now. I pray to you, give me neither poverty nor riches. Whether I have health or illness, I pray to you, asking you, God, to give me contentment right now. This is the way we are wise to pray over our families. This is the way that we are wise to pray over our days. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Paul did two things. He prayed like that, and then secondly, he asked his church for help. That's, the, I mean, that's actually the point of Philippians. Uh, Philippians was written on this occasion that Paul is asking the church in Philippi for help for another church that was poor. That's the reason that he wrote the letter. And we have to get into our minds, particularly for what is coming in these coming weeks, that we are made to be interdependent. We are not made to be independent or dependent. We are made to be interdependent. And for us to consider ways that we would drop pride and realize that the right Christian response is oftentimes to say to our brothers and sisters, would you please help me? And that's okay. There's going to be some of those days for some of us in these weeks to come that we would ask each other, would you please help me? If you're, going to be in, if you're in need even now, we have a storehouse that is overstocked. And we're going to keep overstocking it. Maybe you would give more stockings for our storehouse for the weeks to come when people need food or toilet paper or cleaning supplies or all of those kinds of things. Walmart is out. Okay, um, we are interdependent. We ask for help, and we receive help. And both of those are required for Christian love. It's a prideful response to say, I will never ask for help. It's a Christian response to say, I will receive help, I will give help, I will ask for it well when needed. We are interdependent. May the church step up and show the way. Finally, you fight the dollar deity, or you fight the safety deity as well by giving for God's glory, not for my own glory. By giving, by living a life of generosity for people around us, giving of our time and our talents and our treasures for God's glory and not our own. I want to show you a powerful example from our church. It was recorded a number of months ago, but I want to show it with, to you today because it's an example of people. Um, the wife was really, really generous, and the husband was really miserly. He said, I'm just holding on to everything I got. I'm not living with an open hand. And slowly God got a hold of him, and it changed his heart with respect to generosity, which has changed his life because his treasure is now in Christ as opposed to in his stuff. Great example from Jared and Mona Axman. Take a look. Uh, Jared Axman and a business owner of a trucking company, a brokerage company. Started out with one truck and grew from there, I guess. 
And I'm his wife, Mona. I grew up in a family where the offering every Sunday morning was made, whether times were good or bad. And um, my parents were also very generous with family members in need and helping neighbors, um, people in the community. So I grew up in an environment of giving and generosity and faithfulness to the church. And Jared didn't. And so just there's just a difference there in, in even just how we were raised. So I knew, you know, I knew what his viewpoint was and that it wasn't my job to change that. It's never a wife's responsibility to change her husband. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And so I prayed a lot and I tried to lead by example and show him by my willingness to give to others, not just of money, but of time. And um, my gifts and talents, helping, helping others in those ways, that it was good to give and that it was rewarding to give and that it blesses the giver as well. When I first started coming to church, I was like, yeah, I'll throw a 20 in. And then I was convicted to do a little more, so then I do a little more. And then it was like, yeah, but if I'm going to be given, I kind of want to know what they're doing with it. I mean, that's this is my money I'm putting in here, and I want to know what they're doing with it. And so as it goes on, I just give them a little more, and then so I had a conversation with her one day. It's like, I, you know, I, I need to know what they're doing with it because maybe I wouldn't approve of what they're doing with it. And she just looks at me and she goes, well, it's God's money. And when you give it, don't you think God can handle it from there? It's, it's your being called to give. You're not being called to have anything to do with it after that. If you're being obedient to give, pretty sure God can handle it after that. And so then it was one of them <laughs> moments, you know. <laughs> but it, it really was, it really did resonate with me that, yeah, that's, when you're called to do something, that's what you're called to do, not anything beyond that. So that, that was a big turning point. Through that, I went from the point of wanting to know what's going on with the money to, well, okay, now I'm going to be given this. I kind of want a little, you know, a little notoriety out of this. I mean, this is, I'm starting to give some money here now. I should get some something out of it, you know. There should be some great as me through this. And when he, when he convicted me that he's using me to be generous, that there is, there is no glory in it for me. It's not my glory, it's his glory. Before I was just in my own world. You know, it was me, myself, and I, what I can make, what I get to spend it on, and now it's, I just, I can always see a need somewhere. You know, I'll think about 
you know, we had a good month or something and there's extra money and thinking, well, I could buy this or that and then thinking, well, that's just for us. We're just going to be the ones that benefit from that. That would go a long way to help somebody else with something. And I was never that way before. It was... Yeah, he went from being very self-focused to being others-focused. You got to step out of faith and, and do it. I, I know it's really easy to say, but it took me a long time of, to finally do that because I fought it for so long. But once I did, it was, it was just like, why do we ever <laughs> say, no God, no, no. Why do we ever say that? We, you know, there's so many times that we think we know better or no, we can't do that. And he knows what's best for us. So as the wife who had to um, wait for that to come, it's a lot of prayer and trusting that um, God is the one who works on a person's heart and that what he wants for us is always good and so just keep doing what you know that God wants you to do and hope that your example you know is seen on a daily basis and to never be judgmental or critical either because that will push someone away if there's one one thing that anybody could take away from this is how how much fun it is to be able to to give and to help out it's not a uh, I have to give 10% or I have to tithe I have to do this it's oh man I get to look how God has blessed me and I get to give back pretty cool story of transformation isn't it yeah, you can clap for that. It's really counterintuitive, but you fight the false god of money and greed by being more generous, by giving away more. And if you're curious, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity. And we are in a time now where the church has a unique opportunity to be generous. We're in a time right now where we have, I think in God's providence, stumbled upon this initiative called Sunday to Every Day. And everyday faith is what is required. Everyday faith over fear is what is required. Everyday blessing of our neighbors and our coworkers and generosity to people around us and looking up and looking out is what is required for us to be difference makers. We've been praying for this opportunity to love the one. What if this virus is an opportunity for us to generously do just that, to hold all that God has given to us loosely and say, this could be for me, myself, and I, as Jared said, or this could be used for the needs of someone around me. Maybe this could be used for the needs of people at church. We don't know what God's going to do, 
but we have a benevolence ministry, a generosity ministry, a grace offering here that goes to people in need in our church. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. That might need to be especially funded. I talked to Justine this morning over at Storehouse, and I asked her if she needs more volunteers. And I know they're collecting way more stock, and she just texted me back. We can always take extra hands right now. We'll start tomorrow with constant phone calling to um, the people we serve, packing food bags, potentially delivering bags to our already sick participants, someone to help me with doing online shopping and pickups. So many opportunities. Contact her. This is not the time for bunker mentality. Amen? This is not the time for bunker mentality. This is the time for gospel-centered generosity. Gospel-centered churches to shine like the stars in the sky to bring glory and honor to God most high. As we navigate these troubled times, let's choose a spirit of love and not fear. Let's resist the bunker mentality. Instead of suspicious self-preservation, let's as a church choose servanthood. Like think, if you have an elderly neighbor or you know someone with an autoimmune disease or perhaps someone in your neighborhood in these weeks to come will contract the virus, you have a choice. Self-preservation or service. Do I serve this person? Do I live with generosity toward this person? Do I help them stock up on groceries? Do I run errands for those who can't do it themselves because of an autoimmune disorder? We go into our neighborhoods, and we look up to God, and then we look out to others. We go into our workplaces, and we look up to God, and then we look out to others. Be wise, be careful, definitely wash your hands, and then go wash someone's feet. Because nothing cultivates contentment, and nothing defeats the dollar deity, and nothing defeats the safety deity, like Christian generosity. So, Father, we follow the example of this great ordinary man by the name of Agur. And we ask, God, that you would give us neither poverty nor riches. Father, we ask that you would give us enough for today. Give us our daily bread. Would you please give us contentment? today we cannot control tomorrow to the extent we worry about tomorrow we double our troubles so we ask God for contentment today give us not too much that we would become prideful and forget about you and give us not too little that we would be tempted to steal and dishonor you Father, in this world of fear about money and safety, we give ourselves to you and we ask that you would make us content in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we cast our fears upon you, asking God that you would be the way maker who lifts us up in due time. Strengthen us as we love and serve and give and live out Christianity for a watching world today. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. We'll be careful to give you all the credit in Christ's name.